I thank you for coming here. The end of the day, and maybe you're fading a bit. But I thank you for coming. I'm Janice Catrone. I work in Haiti. I've lived in Haiti for about 30 years now. So I'm probably more comfortable there than I am here. But I'm glad to be here. I like the weather there better than here. If anyone's interested in some cards or if you'd like to contact me or keep in touch afterwards, um, I've got some up here. Feel free to come up this and um, prayer cards. So just feel free to take any take one if you'd like. I'd be happy to keep in touch with you. And I was told to tell you you've got a card that you that you were handed on your way in, and they'd like to have that back as you leave um, to hand it to the person at the door, if you don't mind. All right, I'd just like to pray for the session before we start. Could we do that? Father, I do thank you for your presence here this afternoon, and I thank you for those who are attending this conference. We have a huge load on our shoulders to introduce the world to Jesus and to be you in all the areas that we serve, whatever capacity that may be. I pray that you'd be in each of the seminars that are happening now, Lord. Be here in this room this afternoon, I pray. And again, I thank you for those that are here. In your name, amen. My topic is nursing in low-resource country. Um, well, maybe that's all right. I'll just stand here. I don't do very good standing still, but that's okay. Countries, I've not worked in any other country except for Haiti, unless a couple weeks in Puerto Rico one time and a couple weeks in China, but that doesn't really count. So the only country that I know or that I have my, my frame of reference is that little country in the Caribbean that um, most people know as being such a poor little country. Most people know as being um, politically tumultuous, which it is right now. I, I should be in Haiti right now, but I, I can't get there for fear of not coming home. So um, we pray for Haiti and we pray for those that are there. Haiti, many of you may know... Um, was granted independence from France on January 1st, 1804 and the founding fathers of Haiti dedicated the country to Satan in a 200 year contract that was signed in blood from 1804 to 2004 the president who was the man who was president of Haiti in 2004 before, two years before that in 2002 he renewed that contract with Satan for another 200 years so it's no wonder that the country has had has struggled. It's no wonder that we see the things that we see. Just so close to the U.S., so close to um, Dominican Republic on the other side, on the eastern side, is, is much more stable than Haiti is. But that's where God called me to serve, and I visited there when I was a teenage girl at 16 years old and went back when I was 17 and then... Um, made some short-term nursing trips there and one day God said I don't want you going on a round-trip ticket I want you to go one way that's that's not easy to do when you go 
on a round trip ticket, you know you're coming back home to your family and what's familiar to you. But when you go one way, you don't know. You don't know. I worked there for three years from 84 to 87. And I told our mission medical director, that's it. I served my time. I paid my dues. And I told God, this was not a lifetime call. You told me to go. Okay, I did. I did what I'm supposed to do. Now I'm going back home and... I told our mission director, our medical director, basically, find somebody else. So, between 87 and 88, I did my home ministries deputation, thanked all these churches for supporting me, thanked all these people for praying for me. But a strange thing happened during that year. You're supposed to be recruiting other people, you know, and I ended up recruiting myself. So (laughs) I went back and I'm still there. (laughs) Anyway, talking about low resources, talking about working in a low resource resource country um, or countries, the World Health Organization tells us that there are 9 million nurses less than what there should be. We see those shortages mostly in developing countries um, for multiple reasons that we'll look at. Um, I see it in in our mission hospital. We don't have the faculty in the nursing school that are qualified that I would like to have. So I'm always recruiting nurses from um, the U.S., Canada, um, Europe to come and help us. Any of you that are interested... I won't even make you stay for 30 years. <laughs> Just three months would be a wonderful thing. But, but the resources are so thin, um, partly because nursing, in Haiti, nursing schools in Haiti are not at the level where they should be. And so we have nurses that are in practice that are not at the level that we would like them to be. And I see that with, um, across the board. Which means that you have graduates that are not qualified. You have graduates that come out of a, of a four-year program that don't look like graduates from a four-year school in a developed country. Their skill sets are not where they should be. Um, their knowledge levels, their competencies are not where they should be. It's expensive. I'm very, very thankful for what's been gifted to me. I'm very thankful for our skills lab. There's a lady sitting back here, Beth Bailey, and she gave me a lovely mannequin. And I drove that little mannequin from Indiana back to Missouri in my home and and that little mannequin named Juanita sat in the front seat and I got some (coughs) interesting looks at this full-size mannequin. You know, you can do all kinds of things, NGs and trakes and all that, and there she sat riding in the front seat with their seatbelt on. But in Haiti, they use mannequins from department stores. And what can you do with a mannequin from a department store? Not much, but a bed bath is about it. They, they don't bend. They don't do anything. So things are expensive. Resources are expensive. Um, and then we have nurses in developing countries that do a whole lot more than nurses should be doing. We're way beyond our scope of practice, and that includes myself too. I don't 
I don't teach our students to do the things that I've had to do because it's not appropriate for a nurse to do an amputation. It's not appropriate for nurses to do um, kinds of things that I've had to do over 30 years. But around the world they do. We do teach all of our students how to do deliveries because that's something that they need to know. We do teach all of our students how to suture, but you don't have that in this country here. So nurses are way out of their scope of practice. And in these developing countries, you have to decide how far are you going to go with that? What, what is appropriate? One of the things we need to com- come to grips with is wherever we are, whatever country we're in, shortaged or not, there are going to be barriers, cultural barriers. Cultural barriers are going to exist in this country as well as we care for different people. Um, I have some <coughs> friends that work in, that are medical, that work in Wisconsin, and there's a large Amish community there, and I'm fascinated with the things that they tell me culturally that you do and that you don't do, that you expect and that you don't expect. I'm speaking with the lady back here, Catherine Knight from Appalachia, as another culture, subculture group within our culture. But as we go into a developing country, we can certainly expect to find those, those attitudes, those superstitions are going to affect their health. They're going to affect how you teach. For instance, the Haitian, Haitian women believe that you have a baby, you give birth to a baby, you nurse that baby, that's fine. But if you get pregnant before that baby is weaned, your milk is poison and your milk will poison that baby. Your milk will be bad for that baby. So you never nurse that baby. So people like me come along and they say, well, why do you do that? Why don't you just nurse that baby? Oh, no, 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 we can't do that. Because now I'm pregnant. I said, yes, but you were pregnant yesterday. You just didn't know it. And that baby was fine yesterday. So it seems to me that the only thing, the only difference is knowledge. Yesterday you were pregnant. Two weeks ago you were pregnant, but you just didn't know it. But that that baby nursed and that baby was fine. So is it the knowledge that you found out? Is that what made that milk bad? So if you can find people that will begin to understand... Practices will change. But then the community comes in and the community says, oh, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You have to follow what our grandmother always did and our great-grandmother always did and our aunt and the little old lady up the road. And you can't change now. So how do you do that? How do, what do you do? It's difficult. The way that different people think, the way that different people eat, the way that, and I don't know when I say different, I say people that are different than us. Um, Habits of cooking that may not be healthy. In a low-resourced area, again, I can't make the difference. I can't change those customs. I can't change those habits. I can't, I'm a stranger in, in Haiti. I'm an outsider. I'm a foreigner. And I always will be, no matter how many years I live there. But if I can impact one of their people, that is massive Religious beliefs. Many, many different countries have cultures that are based, and this country too, that are based on um, religious practices. 
we don't see them as much in Haiti but if you are with a Hindu population if you're with a Jewish population or if you're with a Muslim population you're going to encounter some of those things that affects nursing that affects nursing care that affects you you can't make a difference but you can empower those that are around you so nursing in low resource country I can't do it myself I can't do it all myself I go in as a foreigner I go in as a stranger I go in as an outsider but I can certainly impact the people that I work with and that's going to happen with time I've found out over over 30 years now it's 30 years in July working with people when they really get to know who you are and it doesn't happen in a short term trip it's going back and it's going back again and it's going back again and they learn your you have to be vulnerable and they have to learn to be vulnerable they learn your weak spots you learn theirs they learn what makes you cry they learn what makes you laugh they learn what makes you happy then you begin to make a difference then they begin to listen to you so it's not just me by myself anymore i've got somebody else that's my resource as i'm working with our professors this lady standing with me is one of our nursing professors some of our students behind her culturally different than me but yet for nursing care she's a four year graduate four year rn and she's got it so i can impact her and she can impact those around her that's what you do in a low resource area empowering them you know one of my problems is that i have so many years i've like 30 years worth of stories so i don't want to keep you here for 30 years but the clock goes a little faster than i want it to sometimes the areas that are most impacted and most affected by shortage or by um low resources as we look at knowledge levels competency levels um sheer numbers of nurses are sub-saharan africa and southeast asia i can move over into the caribbean as well especially looking at haiti but these are the areas that are most affected and geographically some of these areas i was really surprised to see south africa in this map and i went and looked at south africa and i learned you know you think of heart surgery and you need you think of dr christian barnard you think of um in southeast asia there's some high level things that are happening in places like the philippines but yet they're still considered areas most affected we're talking about nursing nursing care so we've got a big job it's not just um my little world right here or my little world on lago now this little island off the coast of mainland haiti but we've got a big job to impact the world with quality healthcare quality nursing care how are all of you nurses maybe i should took that totally for granted how many nurses are in this room well there are people in here that aren't nurses bravo that's good
The United Nations Development Program has set eight goals. And I looked at these, I looked these goals over, and we're looking at, we're thinking about in low resource areas where we see extreme poverty and hunger, where we see levels of education that aren't optimal on down the list. And I look at the things that are, of course, this comes from the UN, and you can do with that whatever you want to. Think about that however you want to. But I look at things that, that affect my little world as far as nursing on a little island off the coast of mainland Haiti and the things that we can do to make a difference. I can't make a massive difference. I can't eradicate extreme poverty and hunger. And when I look at that to eradicate it, that has a lot of factors to it. That's not just growing your food and processing it and eating it. That has a lot of factors such as how much rainfall do you get? If you have a season of drought in this country, farmers can take out loans and they can replant. You know, there are ways. But in another country, you can't do that. You can't buy on credit if you don't have any credit. And what about if somebody's goats get loose and they eat up all your garden? And that happens every day. In Haiti, you have, you have uh, I'm not going to say a rainy season. There are times a year that, is rain, that are rainier than others, but it's not clearly delineated as in other countries. But when it's raining, if you have goats, and that's your bank account, the more goats you have, the more it's like having more having money in the bank. If it's rainy, you can let your goats loose, and they can wander and eat anything. But if it's dry and there isn't any rain, you have to keep your goats tied. So what happens if you have a crop or if you've planted some fruit trees and they got a good start during the rains? But now they may be their little saplings or they, they may be up a little bit and it's dry so people let their goats loose and the goats eat, strip it down. Well, that, that's going to affect a family or a community down the road. So it's, it's complicated. It's more than just I don't have enough corn to plant this year. I don't have enough corn to plant next year. But I can go get a loan for that, so it's okay. It's a lot more than that. I can't control what causes this. Because acts of nature can cause it. Hurricanes, typhoons, somebody's goats. Achieving universal primary education there are some strong statistics that connect the family of a health with the level of education of the mother. You're probably aware of those. I can't go back in time and put that mother back through school again, but I can certainly help her understand how to raise her children healthier. And I can help our nurses and our nursing instructors to help her. That's not going to change those statistics. It's not going to change those statistics if they start school in September, but they can't afford to pay for the next semester that starts in January. So there isn't any more school for the rest of the year. And they got three months worth of school and that was it. That's not going to change. Gender equality empowering women, I can certainly do the best that I can there.
Reducing child mortality, improving maternal health. Those are two that we can do something about. That we hit hard. We hit these hard, we hit these strong in in our little community. Our community is 40 miles long. It's 10 miles wide. It's an island. It's out in the middle of the Caribbean. 140,000 people are on that island. And we have the only hospital for all 140,000 of them. And some of them from the mainland come as well. And then we have a four-year RNBSN School of Nursing that I started about seven and a half years ago. We can hit these too hard and make a difference in that area, in that little geographic spot on the map. Combating HIV and AIDS, the government has a program through um, WHO, malaria, other diseases. Malaria is is vector-borne. I can't control how mosquitoes breed and multiply. And they do all these things. They tell you all these things like don't have wa- uh, standing water by your house. I don't have any standing water by my house, but I have a whole lot of mosquitoes. And, th- you know, they say do things like plant lemongrass. I don't have any way to plant lemongrass, but, but you have a lot of mosquitoes that, that love to breed. I think they like me. Cholera. Cholera is a big one in Haiti. Haiti never knew cholera before. The earthquake of 2010. And a um, UN health worker from Nepal was the index case and brought cholera to Haiti. And it's affected thousands and thousands of people. Environmental sustainability. I can't do a whole lot there. I can't do a whole lot with a global partnership. Those are big goals. But I can take a couple of them and make a difference. And, and that's what we're trying to do. So what, are nurses, what, what can nurses do? We're in a low-resource area globally, as, I, as we saw on the map, Sub-Sahara Africa and um, the, the Far East. What can we do? Many nurses are not adequately trained. I touched on that at the beginning. And we can do something there. I can't touch the whole country of Haiti. I can't touch the world. But I can certainly educate those who can and send them out. In the school of nursing there that I've, I work with, we just graduated 21 students in our first, first class. And they were from all over the country. So you pour your life and you pour your values and you pour your knowledge level into these young people and then you send them out. And, and some, some really fun things are happening with those kids. They're kids. I shouldn't call them kids, but I'm old enough to be. <laughs> some of them I'm old enough to be their grandmother, I think. But, but they can make a difference because their communities will listen to them. They're Haitian. Who is it that's hiring these people? They don't, they don't know who these students are or who these graduates are who these nurses are I can vouch for them I can say this graduate came from this community and is going to impact put her life back into this community and I can tell them how she'll make a difference for them I can help to support that organization I can't support them financially but I can certainly send them the quality of nurses that they need 
Motivation. How motivated are we to make a difference? Most nurses are passionate about what they do. They're passionate about the area that they work in. They're passionate about their patients and their patient care. And I, watching, I've been a nurse now for more years than I'd like to admit, 41. And I started out in cardiac intensive, I didn't start, start out, I started out on a med surge floor, but then I moved into cardiac intensive care. And that was kind of my first love. And, and I loved, we used to say we mended broken hearts. And I thought I'd be there all my life in cardiac intensive care. I liked that high tech. I liked that level of, of um, care. Sick patients, scared families. And the Lord moved me out of that to a place that hardly even had electricity. And you had people in surgery that weren't even on a monitor. That was a little scary to me, you know. But they survived. But what is it that motivates us? What are our passions? If we take that into the community or we take that into the bedside or we take that into a home, that's what changes care. So when we have a low-resourced area, if you have one nurse that's on fire for one thing, such as TB, cholera, AIDS, low birth weight infants, whatever it is, that nurse is going to make a difference in that community because that's where her passion is. So that's what we try to do. We, we throw values behind it. Comprehensive model for professional practice. I'm going to look at one of those in just a minute. But what, what is our model? Whether it's a biblical model of compassionate care, whether it's we're, we're getting out of theorists and theor- that, that were the big thing back in the 90s. What is it that motivates us? What is it that pushes us forward? That's what charges our batteries. And that's what makes the difference in communities. And when you have a low resource area and you've got one nurse that's passionate about one thing, she's going to make a difference in that area. And the quality of health care or the quality of life is going to increase. In Haiti, as, as in a, many other developing countries for a mother to use a bottle a baby bottle as a status symbol it means that you can afford to buy milk so what they do is water it down they'll buy powdered formula and they'll water it down so the baby doesn't get the protein the baby doesn't get the calories and you have skinny hungry kids and then they develop all kinds of gastroenteritis because the mother doesn't boil the bottles or clean them properly and we tell them you know God developed and designed milk expressly just for that baby oh but it's not cool to breastfeed better to use a baby bottle okay well then your baby's going to be in the clinic five times more you're going to spend a whole lot more money on illnesses that could be completely prevented because God gave that baby everything it needs through you so if you get somebody that's really passionate about that, breastfeeding, competent, high quality, compassionate care, that's only one person. You don't need a whole hospital of nurses to go out and give that message. It's a low resource area, yes, but you're making a difference. And that mother's going to see that her baby is healthier 
and then she'll turn around and tell other mothers and they do and the levels of health care come up it's kind of amazing how that happens we had we had a little one one time that was born at one pound twelve ounces a mother had we, had we were in the middle of a typhoid epidemic because of contaminated water supply and this lady came in she's 26 years old she's skin and bones anyway and I didn't even know that she was pregnant she was 26 weeks but she was so sick with typhoid she was my patient ended up in my lap and I admitted her to the hospital and I had a whole clinic full of sick people so I put her down in the hospital and I wrote a page of orders and said what to do with her and I said just get her IV started, get her going on, on meds, and I'll be back in about two hours. Okay, so I sent her down to the hospital. Well, about 45 minutes later, one of the nurses in the hospital called me and said, Miss Janice, we have a big problem. I said, what? I have bigger problems up here because I have a porch full of sick people. They said, no, 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 this is a really big problem. Okay, what's the big problem? They said, well, you know that lady you sent down here? Yeah, they said, well, she just died. I said, that is a big problem. What? And they said, not only that, but she just delivered this baby because she was pregnant. You're right. That is a big problem. (laughs) And this little one, 26 weeks along, one pound, 12 ounces, and kicking in alive and should never have lived. That child is 31 years old today. But should never have lived. So now what are we going to do? We don't even have controlled temperature incubators and all those things that they have in this country and by all means that baby should never have lived her lungs should never have been developed there should never have been enough surfactant there should all these things that should go wrong and none of them ever did but to nourish this little one what am I going to do so I did all the things that are as far as what's right in the textbooks that you shouldn't do and I did I mean I, I didn't do anything that's right and I did everything that was wrong and every morning I went to the clinic with a jar a glass jar and I said nobody none of you nursing mothers leaves here until you fill my jar and they'd pass it around and you'd get I'd get milk from ten mothers I said, if you're sick, no. If you're sneezing or have a cough, no. But if, you, if you're not sick, I want some milk. Well, they laughed at me and they told me that I was, uh, they were my cows. And so it got to be kind of funny. You know, every morning they knew, the word got, went, the word got around that if you were going to go to the clinic and you had a baby that you were going to give milk for, because you were going to be one of Miss Janice's cows. So culturally, that was great it worked fine was it the kind of thing you'd see in a textbook no but Judith is 31 years old today and she's healthy and she had all kinds of antibodies from all kinds of healthy mothers and you know those women learned (laughs) they learned that it was okay you don't have to bottle feed because they saw that baby thriving and they were part of it well, Judith was about maybe four months old. 
and growing and doing fine. And there was a lady up the road that had a baby, had had a baby, and she came to me and she said, you know what? You do this every morning and you're and and you have and that's great, but she said, I live just three houses up and I have plenty of milk. Let me just take care of that baby and she did. Till Judith was like a year and a half. And it was a wonderful thing. Well, a low resourced area, I can't I don't have all the resources. I don't have all the human resources or all the finances or all but if you can get one person to hear your message it makes such a difference. It makes such a huge difference. So, that one pound, 12 ounce baby is healthy today. What affects resources? Availability of resources. Or your location, surely, is one thing. If you're in a remote area, of course that's going to make a difference. The climate, the environment will affect. And then we go back to rainfall or drought what form of government is there is it a restrictive form of government do you have um, in Haiti today there's there's basically no government I say that tongue in cheek but I don't know how many of you are keeping up with the political nature of Haiti today but there's an awful lot of unrest awful lot of violence across the country not on the little island where, where I am. That's, that's quiet. That's a lovely place out there. But we depend on the mainland. So the, the, the current government that's, that's installed has been accused of massive money laundering, racketeering, and embezzlement. The president's in for five years and he's just fulfilled two so he has three more years to go and this other side this opposition side they say you're guilty of a long list we want you out and he says I'm duly elected I'm not leaving and they said you're accused we've, they, we've tried you although they haven't we've judged you guilty so we're going to make life miserable for you and the entire country until you leave so everything comes to a standstill you can't travel anywhere. You can't. Um, people can't. Port-au-Prince, the capital city, where a third of the population lives, those children haven't even started school yet. And here it's November, and nobody's gone to school since it ended in June of um, the last year. So, the form of government or lack of has an awful lot. Are they receptive? to policies to health care policies they may not be I know that, that I buck heads with the director of nursing in Haiti often I think she dreads it when I knock on her office door in the capital city education I mentioned a little bit ago that that um, there's a direct correlation between the health care of families and the level of education of mother what is the highest level that's offered? You have many areas around the, around the world where people don't have a high school education. And so you're not going to have the levels of health care that would be optimal. What's the family structure? Who is it that's in charge? In, in Korean families, the little grandmothers have an awful lot of power. In Middle Eastern families, men, and it depends on where you are. Um, in Haiti, the, the women, mothers, mothers have an awful lot of respect. 
Mother's Day is huge in Haiti, but there isn't not Father's Day. But who is it that's that is responsible for caregiving for children? Sometimes it's kids. Sometimes it's kids taking care of kids while parents are out trying to scrape in a market and sell something. What kind of resources are there? What kind of resources are available? Many places they just aren't. They're just not there. Medications are not there. What do you do with a diabetic if you don't have any insulin? Or what do you do with a diabetic if you don't have a refrigerator? Put the insulin in. Well, you, we tell our people, bury it in the ground. You bury the vial in, put it in a little, little box, put it in the ground. Well, that means you got to dig it up every day or several times a day. That's going to affect health care. Funding sources, how many, how many hospitals in this country have what they need? How many hospitals in this country do you go to that don't have a big, a big giant wall with names of donors? Will there ever be adequate funding for health care? Language. What if many countries have different dialects? What if the health care giver speaks this dialect, but 30% of the people over here don't? But she's the only health care worker. So then what do you do? Educational resources. We have, we have computers that print everything nowadays. What if you don't have that? What if you don't have paper? What if you don't have ink? Or you run out of the ink? Or you run out of, you, you know? It, it's just, you come to the end of the line. What do you do? You empower the person that you can speak with and send them out. World Health Organization came up with five building blocks. Professional values, patient care delivery system, professional relationships, management approach, and then remuneration. WHO said if these things are satisfied, health care will drastically, levels of health care will drastically increase. What are the professional values? It's when we sense an intrinsic internal obligation or duty that I was talking about a little bit ago. Passion to promote health care. This is my favorite one, to recognize the value and the worth of every single individual. Understanding fundamental human rights, believing in respect and dignity, you can tell that comes from World Health Organization. But if, I think if we really do this, everything else falls into place. In Haiti, the lighter skinned you are, the more valuable you are. The darker skin you are, the less valuable you are. And the first day of school for all of our nursing students, oh, we've got 18 freshmen right now, and I wasn't down there to do that this year, but every other year I tell them I want you to line up your arms on the table from darkest to lightest. Dark over there and then, then just organize yourselves until the lightest skin is up here. Haitians will tell you there's seven shades of black. I say, you know, they get this black-white nonsense. This is black and this is white and I don't know anybody that's this or that so it, and they look at me and they say you know what you're right and we line them up and the darkest person is down there and then I come along and I put my arm up here and I say okay what do you see and they say we see arms I say no, no, no beside that what do you see we see color okay what else do you see what do you see and they say well we see each other but I said you know what According to you, that person down there isn't worth much of anything. 
and this person up here which is me is worth a whole lot and how many of you chose what shade you were going to be none of you but God gave you that shade he gave you that color he gave you that tone so somewhere between her and her he goofed where was it where did God make his mistake and they look at they look at all these arms and they say he didn't and I say you're right he didn't and the first day of school we start pouring value into people whether it's a premature baby that should have died whether it's a little old man up in the mountains who can't walk anymore because of a stroke whoever it is we pour value into them into this newborn teaching students teaching the nurses in the hospital every single person counts patient care delivery systems how to improve those that's a big one I'm not in charge of the hospital but I, but I see so much that's lacking over there but I can empower the students and the students can make a big difference in writing care plans and in working in coordinating care they put the nursing process they know what it is they know, they know all the way to the end to evaluating and then when you start over again so again you get one person on your side one person that believes I got it I see it and they begin to multiply professional relationships teaching um, Haiti is just as bad as a lot of other countries where the doctor knows it all and the doctor um, physician physician makes all the decisions and all the choices and nurses follow those orders which yes they need to do but nursing also needs to be part of the team and once nursing becomes part of the team and once physicians begin to realize the value of the nurse the outcomes automatically increase so we teach the nurses and we teach our young doctors at the hospital as you're making rounds we're going to be joining you we're going to be working together with you and we involve families we involve um, for pediatric patients we involve mothers we involve patients and listen to listen to them and we see the levels of we see our outcomes going up nurses clearly know what their roles are nurses clearly understand their scope of practice patient care is improved when nurses are given a platform that doesn't always happen around the world that doesn't always happen but again if you can empower one you might as well have empowered a thousand because that one's going to empower somebody too and then you have two and then you have four and then you have sixteen and exponential management I look at this one here as we look at sending our nursing students into the hospital as we look at sending them into other hospitals um, look, look at, ask where is your policy manual what is the policy for starting an IV what is your policy for whatever it is and many times they don't have one and so the nursing student can say would you like me to write one for you there goes patient care increases it's a low resource area but one person can make a huge difference and the last one in that list of five was remuneration 
Uh, I cannot control salary and benefits, but I can do an awful lot here. I can do an awful lot here. There's a lady that comes to the nurse that comes to Haiti um, every year, and she works for Littman, and she brings a brand new stethoscope for every one of our nursing students, new nursing students every year, and she's gifted all of the hospital nurses with beautiful Littman stethoscopes because Littman gives them to her, and they have this great tax write-off. That's a wonderful thing. In, when I'm here in the U.S., it seems like I live life with my hand out. Find your, find your resources. So, what, so we're coming to the end. How do we put it all together? What do we do when our resources are so limited? Um, I think this is huge. This says an awful lot right here when I don't have very much. If I, if I could tell that nurse, you did a really good job with that patient. Or I can say, you know what, that, um, maybe I can say, they've gained a half a pound. Wow, something's been working. What did you do? And just praise them. We all, we all function better when somebody says we did a good job. That goes a long, long way. Back to values. I like what he said. I have a dream that someday people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. How many times have we quote that? How many times have we heard that? Again, when I'm in a low resource area and I really, really need the people that are there, the ones, the few that I have to work with, I need to make sure that I'm on their team. They're not so easily going to come on my team. I need to make sure that I'm on their team. Trust, trust is a big one. How do we do it? How do you, what do you do? How do you start? First day of school with our nursing students, we begin working on increasing their critical thinking skills. I give them a puzzle, these little dollar store puzzles. They have not a clue what a puzzle is. They've never seen one. They've never worked one. They don't, they don't know what they are. And they, and they have little pictures. You know how the dollar store is, like 25 pieces. They're usually animals. That one's a zebra. And they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do a puzzle. They never saw one. And I'll say, put it together. And they'll look at me like, and at 30 minutes, it's the most painful 30 minutes you can ever, <laughs> you've ever gone through. Because they don't, none of them have it put together. None of them. And they'll say, okay, stop. Then I tell them how to put a puzzle together. Find your corners. Find the edges. Look at the picture. And in about 10 minutes, their little team of two has put a puzzle together. And, and I'll say, what was the difference? Why couldn't you do it the first time? And why could you do it the second time? And they'll say, because we didn't know how. And I'll say, you're right. And the difference was, you learned how. And that's what you do with low resource areas. You figure out the how. You use the people that you have. And your outcomes will go up. We offer frequent continuing education and use um, professionals that come from, usually come, come from the U.S. This is a dean at Indiana Wesleyan University, and he was given a lecture one day. Anytime I have an outside resource, I use them. 
This lady's a retired PhD nursing professor, and she was teaching um, freshman nursing students. She comes every year, she teaches nursing research for us. An amazing resource that I have that I can plug in and use. Our students get them involved. This was a research project, and they're teaching the community, teaching those who were interested in what their findings were for their research class, for their research project. That's what I do with the low-resource area. You just empower and pour yourself into what you do have. And that makes a difference for what you don't have. Learning should be fun. If they like it, if they like you, they're going to more easily accept what you have to offer. And, I don't know what that said, but you get a whole lot more bang for your buck if you just love people. You just love them. So, model what you want. Model every outcome. If your expectations aren't high, then don't expect your outcomes to be high. But if they are, quality of care will drastically increase. So I like, I'm just going to end it right there. It's frustrating. It's difficult. It's challenging. You want to run away from it every day. (laughs) When can I go home? You can't. Not for three more years. No. But there's such a reward. So, value-driven, I guess that's what I am. And pouring myself into those that are there so that when I leave, when I go home, when I come back to the U.S. and live in my comfortable little cocoon here, somebody there has picked up the mantle and is carrying it. I thank you for coming. We just have about ten minutes. Does anyone have any questions? Or comments, or maybe I should have added something else that you say. I didn't see this there. Yes, ma'am. If someone is thinking about um, becoming a missionary nurse, what is the best preparation academically and experientially? Probably depends on the level that you'll be at. I, I'm I work. I'm a professor, so the minimum for me where I am would be a master's degree. If somebody's thinking about becoming a missionary nurse. Just have some, uh, I would say, um, two or three good solid years of practice here or in a developed country. You're going to see things that you'll never see. You're going to be up against things that you'll never see. And you don't have to have 95 years behind you. Just a couple of, of good solid years of practice will do it. And if, and, and if anybody would like to live on a Caribbean island... I'm really looking for professors. Yes. I was wondering how you kept up to date with, uh, like, if you are working most of your time in a low-resource country, like, do you come back every once in a while to update your skills? Or That's a good question. Um, my, 
our terms of service with my sending organization, I'm with the Wesleyan Church, Global Partners it's called, and I go out for, th- for it's a four-year term, so I go out for three and then I'm home for one. And during that one, I try to, to bring myself up to speed as much as I can. But while, I'm over, while we're over there, um, and there's journals, there's nursing journals that I try to keep up with, but one of the biggest resources for me are the teams that come down. And, and I just pump everything I can out of these nurses and, and physicians. We have quite a few medical teams, dental teams, eye teams, surgical teams. Um, and a lot of them are repeaters. So they, they know you. They know who you are. And they're a huge resource for me, especially with meds. Both, both. The school is um, thirty-two hundred U.S. dollars a year for one student, and that includes textbooks and a laptop computer or use of a laptop, lunch, uh, their tuition. It's pretty much all inclusive. They can't pay thirty-two hundred. I ask twenty-five percent of that, and then I find the rest. I always have my hand out, <laughs> and there's usually. Um, some group will pick up somebody, maybe not, maybe not that whole balance. So several kids have a couple of sponsors, two or three sponsors even. And I can say God is just so faithful. I just closed out our books for the, for we we have the sixth year, seventh seventh if you count the one that I'm a couple of a couple of years that I started, and we've ended in the black. And I don't know how that happens, but it does. It is. They have a. They, Haiti has a Department of Nursing, and they have a state board exam, and they have um, pretty much the same competencies that we have here. Like I said, all nurses over there have to know how to deliver babies. They all have to know how to suture. There's a couple other things that we don't do in this country, but they have to do because there just isn't any. Aren't, there aren't the resources there, you know. But yes, there. It's there are. Um, a standardized curriculum. Can your students come from other parts of Haiti, or are they both? They do. They come from all over the country. Mm-hmm. Let me take this lady in the red. Uh huh. It was jumping off the deep end of a diving board <laughs> and wondering when you're going to come up for air. And I did not speak the language. I didn't know. I spoke Spanish. And, and Haiti, is their, their heart language is Creole, but the official language is French. I had wonderful missionaries that I lived with that helped me over the hump and helped me with that culture um, learning culture and and then I would I would be with people I would go to church I would go to the market I would ride the public buses I would um, do everything I could to spend time with the Haitians and learn them learn their ways and learn their thoughts I'm still doing that <laughs> but little by little like they say 
Pizzi pizzi's wasn't finished. Little by little, the bird makes its nest. It's, it's always a culture shock, but I nah, just keep going. Somebody else over there. Yes, ma'am. I had a question about just like talking about implementing policies and stuff. Like, what would that process like for you? Because I know they say like, as the ex- expat coming into culture and country, it takes time to like earn their respect, and like you don't want to just come in and say this is like you're doing it wrong. Like this. That um, you're that's a good question because you can say, oh, this is terrible. You're going to kill your patient if you keep doing that, yeah. and and you can't say that, but you can model that behavior. You can say, my, if, you know what, my nursing school did it like this. So, it's, and um, I was when I first went, I was the director of nursing. So, who's going to cross that person? You know. So I was really fortunate, um, but modeling behavior. If if you see somebody is doing a dressing change and it's not sterile, it isn't even clean, you do it the next time and have somebody there watching you and helping you. This is how I do it in my country. And co- constantly modeling behavior, constantly modeling techniques. That works. That that works big. And then and then laughing with them and and we we like to have get-togethers with the nurses or with the nursing students have parties together and um, fun times together. And that breaks down all kinds of barriers. And and they begin to trust you. What language is your school What language? In in Haiti. Creole, Haitian Creole, which is a mixture. Creole means mixture. When Columbus discovered the island, there were five indigenous tribes, each of them with their own language. And it was colonized by France, so Napoleon brought in French. And the Dominican Republic is on the east, so the closer you are to the DR, a little bit of Spanish gets in there. They, um, Napoleon brought all kinds of slaves from the western shores of Africa, and they brought their dialects and languages with them, so there's a slew of that mixed in. And then the West Indies Trading Company was all through the Caribbean um, buying and selling and taking back to Europe. And that's English. So you have all these African dialects. You have all the five indigenous tribes, some Spanish, some English, and a whole bunch of... um, What else did I leave out? French. Thank you. Vous mettez tout ça ensemble. Après vous mettez tout ça ensemble. Tout langue ça c'est langue créole, oui you put all that together and then out comes Creole. Yeah. So for the purpose of guest lectures, do you usually translate? I do. And, and we have some of our, of our faculty that speak really good English. So when a guest lecturer comes or, or uh, faculty, when a nurse says, like one of you guys that's going to come, one of you people that's going to come and help me, right? You'll be translated for. And then some of them want to learn Creole. And that's fine. We have people that can teach it. Somebody that comes? Yeah, no. Student. No, the students. Oh, the students have French in school. Uh-huh. They they start French. They they learn it. Our textbooks are in French, just because Creole is a small language. You can't find what you need in Creole. So I buy I buy textbooks from Canada, Montreal, or Quebec, Brussels, and Paris, and they're all French. So they need a high school degree. High school, yes. Mm-hmm. And they take an exit exam, 
They have to pass the exit exam, but I'll tell you right now that the average... In Haiti, you can pass with a 50. Not, not with us, but in Haitian schools, you pass with a 50. So I get these kids that pass with a 50, and that's about where they are, but their knowledge levels are so low. We have a long ways to go. We give an entrance exam, it's time to quit. We give an entrance exam, and, and you start out with questions that would be typical for an exam here, and they, they don't pass it. You have, they have make zero, so you keep lowering your standards, lowering your standards. If, if I don't do that, then I don't have students. So you take them in, and then you put them through the paces. And they, they usually pick up. You know, that there'll be a few that won't make it, but most of them, some of them are really, can be really, really sharp. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. Turn in your card at the door, and then if, if you'd like to con- keep in contact with me, I would be very grateful. i got a card up here that I'd be happy to, for you to have. And if you'd like a short-term slash long-term slash any term, I'd love to have you. Thank you. <laughs>